From a technology point of view, we are going to see major, major uptake in artificial intelligence, and it's going to start small and it's going to accelerate dramatically. And, and within the next two years, you will see this ramping up. You will see routine uses of it in the enterprise, not just in financial services for credit card fraud detection or to develop a new trading strategy, but for, for real tasks that people do every day. Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and today I have the pleasure of having in the studio with me Steve Wilson. Now, Steve is the Vice President of Products of Cloud at Citrix, and we've got some great things to talk about today. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Des. Glad to be here. Well, hopefully you've had a great day there. It's the end of your day there in the US, and it's the start of my day here in uh, Australia, life in, uh, in the global world. Now, Steve, I can't wait to get into a couple of key topics with you, get to know a bit about yourself and your role as Vice President of Products at Cloud uh, for Cloud at Citrix, and particularly a couple of hot topics around the workplace of the future, or the workspace of the future, I should say, uh, the connected enterprise and the whole topic around that, and, and artificial intelligence as a catalyst to productivity. There are a couple of key things I'd love to dial, dive into with you. But before we do that, I hope you don't mind, but could we maybe do a little segue and get to know you a bit better? What could you share about yourself, uh, You know, where you're originally from, where'd you grow up? Any uh, fun highlights around your academic uh, career path and how you came into, into this role to, uh, to sort of you know, be heading up cloud at Citrix? Oh, yeah, sure thing. So um, I'm actually a Silicon Valley native. Um, I'm currently based out of our um, California office at Citrix, but I grew up in the area, grew up in Palo Alto. Um, my dad went to Stanford, got his graduate degree there, and went to work at um, at HP Labs. And so I grew up around high tech. Um, actually, got my first job in high school at Apple Computer. And um, you know, from an academic career point, um, decided that I couldn't stand to leave the weather in California. And the only place with better weather than Silicon Valley is San Diego. So I went to the University of San Diego and majored in business in San Diego and, you know, really kind of my senior year there, put an idea together for a startup with some friends and came straight out of college into my first startup. Wow. Um, starting your first job at Apple must have been pretty amazing. Gosh, I, um, I'm very envious of that. I'm a, a real Apple fanboy, to be honest. And uh, uh, even to this day, I think just about everything on my desk here has got some sort of Apple sticker on it. Um, Silicon Valley native, that's a pretty interesting background. That would have set you up well for the whole space that you're currently in, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, sort of grow, growing up in a, in a world was pretty interesting, going up to HP Labs and, you know, meeting people who my dad had to later tell me were Nobel Prize winners and things like that. So, you know, it was an interesting um, interesting way to grow up. And certainly, you know, a lot of interesting things come came from my early days bopping around Apple. Um, I'll tell you, it was a much different place back then, sort of in between Steve Jobs leaving and Steve Jobs coming back. It wasn't quite the juggernaut that it is today. I'll tell you that. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure that uh, everyone listening has it myself. We follow that uh, either locally or from afar in great detail. And uh, But, you know, it's part of one of those evolutionary things, I think, and companies sort of go in ebbs and flows. And um, uh, at the end of the day, it was probably a better company as a result of that. But anyway, so your role as Vice President of Products for Cloud at Citrix sounds like an amazing thing. What's, what's a day in the life of Steve Wilson in that space look like these days? You must have just a plethora of interesting challenges coming at you currently. Yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, sort of from a, 
you know, personal perspective, literally what's a day look like? Um, you know, Citrix is actually a little unusual in that it's not headquartered in Silicon Valley. It's actually um, was founded out on the East Coast. It's headquartered in Florida. So I tend to get up pretty early. I probably have my first remote meeting over uh, go to meeting before I head into the office. Um, I have about a you know 30 to 45 minute commute and I got pretty exhausted with that. So uh, I got myself a self-driving car so that I can uh, you know take a call or two while I'm in the car. So I let it drive me up the freeway, which is pretty cool in science fiction these days. Wow. Uh, but um, you know, getting into the um, office at Citrix, you know, got a pretty cool office space here. I actually share an office with another one of the guys here who works on the cloud projects with me and um, got it set up here with all sorts of fun gizmos, raspberry pies powering our our shared screen and some um, you know various clients attached to all of our our Citrix um, workspace technologies. Self-driving car. That's very George Jetsons. I love the fact that we, you know, when, when I talk to my kids, I've got a, a daughter who's just turning 18 and a son who's just turning 14 and, you know, trying to convey to them that, uh, you know, my parents probably saw, you know, television come in and I sort of, you know, came out of the end of, the, of man on the moon kind of technology and the internet uh, actually becoming a thing. Uh, and, and now I just I love the fact that they're in this world where, as you said, it's it's very normal to say you have a George Jetson style car that drives itself. It's just phenomenal to even think we're living in that lifetime, isn't it? Yeah, well, I actually I got a I got a software update on my car this week and the software update came with 25 more horsepower. I read about that. They, what is it? Five percent more uh, power out of the engine. I mean, I love cars as software-defined infrastructure that gets more more grunt by updating. It's just mind blowing. We could do a whole show on that. Now, yeah. I've got a couple of hot topics I want to dive into, if that's okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier on in the intro, uh, the topic of workspace of the future is a big one for me. But uh, behind that, the whole connected enterprise that makes it possible, and then where artificial intelligence uh, sort of fits into it, particularly as a catalyst of productivity. Maybe just uh, workplace. Workspace of the future. Um, what, does it, what does that actually mean as a term in your world? I mean, I, you know, for, from a listener's point of view, we've all got a view of these things. We've read about these topics in the, in the media and everyone has a particular skew in it. From your point of view and certainly from the Citrix world, what does workspace of the future actually mean? So I, I think we have a, a unique perspective on it. And when you look at our kind of main product set, what we actually call it is the secure digital workspace. And... In its most pure form, that's a purely virtual concept. Um, it encompasses everything that you need to do your job from a digital perspective. So it includes all of your applications, all of your files, um, whether your applications are based in the cloud, on-prem, Windows applications, SaaS applications, pulls them all together into a single workspace so that you can access them from any device. Um, no matter where the application's um, located, no matter what APIs it was coded to, um, but also makes it possible to access it securely. And this is a, a common theme that you'll hear over and over again is that um, in the enterprise these days, security is, is such a huge theme that as you want to make um, your workers more productive, you have to put that hand in hand with security. But when we talk about the workplace of the future, that's where we get into some inter interesting um, intersections between what we call the digital workspace and your physical workplace. And really what we see is a lot of customers starting to look at redesigning their physical workplaces 
to deal with more mobile types of workers, these workers who are less comfortable in a, in a fixed location with a desk that they go to every day and that they want to be moving around, collaborating more, working on different types of devices in different places. And so a lot of what we're doing is enabling new technologies there, both on kind of the server side, on how do we enable you to access these different kinds of applications in different places, but also on the client side. How do we enable you to do use different classes of devices um, and, and also secure those devices? And so really what we see is an interesting merger going on where we're starting to see um, traditional computing devices like your laptops and your desktops being supplemented, obviously, with things like phones and tablets. But the next generation is is bringing in new sets of devices into the enterprise where we're seeing people bring in things like Amazon Alexa for business and Apple TV and making them enterprise devices and saying, how do I bring this into my enterprise infrastructure? And at the point you started to bring those onto your networks, then you have to ask all those same questions you ask of every other device. How do I secure them? How do I update them? And so there's really an expansion of this overall compute footprint going on now as, as we change the nature of the, the workplace. It's interesting you say that because the, the thing that strikes me, and I've, I've been watching this happen for, for at least a decade and a half now, is this uh, transition from what we would call tr traditional enterprise things, you know, devices. You know, we've shifted from sort of desktop computers and workstations decades ago to now laptops are pretty much... Uh, you know, fait accompli, everyone gets one by default because of the mobility we want them to have. And they're also they're getting cheaper than the regular workstation. Um, consumer products are coming in, as you said, with, with the likes of Alexa or other smart devices. Um, people are sort of BYOD with, with uh, tablets and phones. And so that whole blurring of working behind a firewall on a fixed desktop is gone now, in, in my experience. And we're, we're really, it's a case of, as you were inferring then, where it's just the, the nearest device is what we use to do the job. The thing that I've always loved about what uh, you, you've offered as, a, as an organization, the brand, and, and, and I literally count on this every day, is that it doesn't actually matter how I get to my virtual workspace as it is, as long as I've got a device that works and is secure. And I think this seems to be where this blend of, I guess, traditional enterprise uh, access and devices has transitioned to consumer space. And now the magic blend between, particularly with mobile workers and, and, and I guess a lot of workers working remotely as well, which tends to be the case now. Or globally, you know, not everyone goes to the same office at the same time of day and the same day of the week and sits next to each other. Um, we could be anywhere in the world, as we are now. I'm here in Sydney and you're in the US and, and we're happily collaborating, you know, on various levels of platform, right? Where do you where do you see the market in this whole maturity curve? I mean, you've been in this space for a long, long time. You've been a world leader in providing this kind of access. Uh, as far as the workspace of the future goes, you know, where, where do you see as, as yourself personally, I guess, and also Citrix as a brand? Where's the world out in the maturity curve? How far are we towards the space? Are we at the very bleeding edge of it? Is, is, it's, is it well established or are we well and truly down the path now and it's a case of starting to get strategic and, and uh, uh, you know, just implementing it because it's there and it's working? You know, I think we're, we're at an interesting inflection point. We're obviously, Citrix is a company that will have its 30th birthday this year. So it's, it's very established in the market. Um, and, you know, I think the, the round number that we say is there's probably a, a hundred million people every day that depend on Citrix to do their jobs. So there's a lot of people out there doing that. 
But in the grand scheme of things, um, there's a tremendous expansion in the number of workers who are going to take advantage of next generation workspace technologies. And this is really happening both through demand in that as people become more mobile, as people need to collaborate more, um, they're going to need these technologies. And also, frankly, the technologies are moving really, really fast. Um, a lot of people know Citrix for kind of classic virtualized Windows applications. And, and certainly that's going to be a, a big part of our business for a long time. But more and more of our focus now is on delivering these next generation applications. And certainly that includes web applications. Um, more and more, it's SaaS applications hosted in public clouds. Um, it's mobile applications, and, and really what we're starting to do now is scratch the surface on entirely new application types that we're calling micro-applications. Okay. Um, are there some examples of those sort of micro-applications that, that come to mind? I mean, there's, um, uh, there's a couple of things I'd like to unbundle on that, but when you, when you refer, refer to a micro-application, what's a couple of examples for listeners that you might refer to that or, or that people come to you and you would sort of look at it and go, well, that's a micro-application? Well, so what we're looking at right now is that um, when, you, when you look at the, the types of apps that are out there, whether it's um, a traditional thick client application like, a, like an office application or a SaaS application, these applications have gotten so complicated. There's so much functionality, and, and it's all there for a reason, but on any given day, you might use 10% or less of that application. But you use that over and over again. So if you think about in a, in a typical enterprise as a manager, um, on any given day, I will get multiple emails asking me for, say, approvals of different kinds of tasks. Um, somebody wants sign-off. Somebody wants approval on an expense report. Um, today I get email about that. I need to click on it. I need to sign into an application. I need to dig through four layers of menus. Um, and it's it's frustrating yeah. and time consuming. Um, what if you could disassemble those applications and de-aggregate them so that just the critical workflows um, could work independently? And and that's kind of what we, we are talking about when we're talking about micro applications and being able to bring those interactions to you, um, prioritized, bring you the most important thing first, and give you just the piece of information that you need to do that task. And then dispose of it quickly and move on. I like that. I guess there's a, a almost an expectation in that um, you know a lot of the digital disruption we're seeing around the world now, in my view, is actually consumer driven, not competitor driven. You know, once upon a time we used to have uh, brands and organisation and vendors competing on, on different levels of service. You know, company A would do this, and then company B had to catch up. These days, I see that that whole disruptive influence being driven by the consumers, and that they're demanding. You know, like banks had to go to the cloud and offer web banking because that's what people wanted. They didn't want to go to an ATM and they didn't want to go to the branches. I think now um, what you're referring to there, I've seen this whole transition where people are used to smartphones or tablets, and they just see a little icon and they just want to be able to click on one thing and get that functionality, and then they're done. And it's almost like we've been trained by these devices to expect that if I want to send a message, I push the little green or blue button. I send a one-liner and that's it, it's done. I don't have to load up a different application, as you said, and then go into that functionality and pull down a menu and choose instant message and then send that. Uh, is it the case that you're seeing that, that similar disruption come into enterprise space now where the consumers and particularly, I guess, you know, the new emerging millennial market of workforce saying, well, I'm just used to doing it this way and I just want one button. I don't want to have to log into a big, heavy, thick client and do these things. So has that been a driving force in some ways? 
It, it has been. And, it, and it's interesting, right, because you, you bring up millennials and it's it's been a hot topic of discussion with us. One of the things we realized recently is that millennials are no longer the new generation of workers. They are right. the large portion of the workplace today. The ones entering the workforce today are the ones born in in the year 2000 and after. Um, that, I mean, it's almost shocking to say it, right, that kids born in the year 2000 are now adults <laughs> <I know. laughs> and entering the workforce. And we've done a lot of, of studies into those, you know, dare I call them kids, and you realize they use computing resources in a completely different way. Um, I've, I've had reactions from IT directors who'll say things like, these kids don't know how to use computers. And you're just baffled by that because you know they do, right? They're completely digital native. They've never not had a computer in their hand. But what they mean is they use them completely differently. And there are, there are actually fundamental skills that they don't have that you and I grew up with. Like ask an 18-year-old um, to email a document. It, it doesn't even parse. Yeah. Right. Um, they they all grew up doing their homework in Google Docs. They don't even know what save means. Right. They just come to a Web page, do work and go away. And it's there when they come back. And that level of just sort of convenience and automation is now expected in everything. And, you know, in many ways, it's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, I I, um, I, I do like that insight, in fact, that, um, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, I saw a thing recently where, and I forget the exact number, but it was it was something along the lines that um, uh, Gen uh, you know, Gen Y and Gen Z were going to effectively be the majority of the population. I'll find the reference in a minute. Um, very very soon. I think it was something along the lines of next four, three to four years, the bulk of the world was going to be Gen Y, Gen Z, and the, the Gen Y was going to be sort of the next you know line managers through to, to senior managers. And as you said, you know, we, we sit back and we go, well, you know, and this probably ages me, but, you know, like uh, I've got an 18, uh, nearly 18-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. And I just, I had this epiphany the other day. I was walking down the hallway and the kids are walking towards me and I realized I don't have any kids anymore. There are two other young adults in our house. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the experience that a lot of uh, folk are having in their organizations where uh, a colleague of mine, and I won't name the bank, but one of the largest banks in the world, He's the uh, the head Asia Pacific Wise, and he said to me, "I'm dealing with five generations in my organization." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, I've got sort of the baby boomers and the Gen X and the Gen Y and the Gen Zs, and I've got sort of the millennial spread in between." And he said, "You know, and it's an exciting thing, but it's also a fun challenge because, as you said, some people ring up saying, "I'm trying to save a document. I'm trying to t- attach an email on the help desk." Is like, well, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> But but I, I I'll be honest. I love the fact that I don't have to hit file, save, click these days. I just love typing, and it happens. And it's almost you know like as I was referring to before with your car experience and a self-driving car with that George Shetson technology. It's one of those things where it should have always been like that in my mind. You know, we used to have like auto save every five minutes, and nowadays it just saves because it's JSON. It's doing it real time. It goes back to the cloud. But it has definitely changed the way that we approach delivering services, not just for millennials. Um, but for the rest of the world. And I guess this is where this connectivity challenge comes in for, for the likes of Citrix now, and that is that, as you said, you, you, you're well-known. You've got, um, I think you said, was it 100 million-something people every day get out of bed and go to work and, and, and depend on you for their work. Uh, that's going to, in my mind, I see this Cambrian explosion now of, of you permeating all the technology and providing this, this secure capability to connect to it, 
But the thing that I love is that always-on concept. You know, we, we assume that the smartphones and, and so forth are always-on. We've assumed that when we pick up a handset, when it was on an old landline with copper wire, there was always a dull, a dull tone. Nowadays, booting up a computer doesn't really work. You just flip it open and you log in the screen's there. Uh, that, that must be an interesting challenge for you always, to have that always-on expectation as well that, you know, I'm going to wake it up, I'm going to put in a PIN number on a device or I'm going to log in with a password and a screensaver and I just expect the apps to be there and I expect them to be secure and work and connect and I don't have to think about that. As you said, that you don't hit save anymore, it's just there. That must have, been, that must have driven a significant shift in cultural and behavioural approach to things as well, hasn't it? It really does. And when, when you think about our, our workspace technologies, it's a key thing that we bring together all those applications. Um, but to, I mean, today, obviously, people can log into SaaS applications from anywhere. It's just the web. And companies have things like single sign-on technologies. But in general, what we find is single sign-on means you as a user have one password. It doesn't mean that you sign on once per day. You may be logging into 20 different applications throughout the day. And um, and, it, and it's maddening for somebody who's used to just popping open their phone, staring at it to log in and, um, and getting to work. And so with our workspace technologies, we've really kind of taken this SSO concept to the next technology or the next, um, um, the next phase, which is you log into your workspace and you do that once. And all of the security and things that your IT department needs, you do that once. You provide your username and your password. And if you do need to do multi-factor authentication, all of those things, you do that once. And then your whole workspace is available to you. And all of your applications and all of your data are right there and, and basically instant on. So you click on them and you're logged in and you're ready to go. And that's that's a key part of this is, is really reducing the friction that not only does it reduce productivity, but it just makes people frustrated. We're trying to help um, corporations make sort of happier, more engaged employees. And, you know, we see the numbers out there and we realize so many employees are disengaged and it's because they aren't feeling like they have the tools to do their jobs. It's friction. Um, we think we can help with that. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, I love that insight that you just mentioned there with the productivity piece, because I think this is a significant challenge for employers and, and organizations in general. And that uh, I, I've been sitting in boardrooms over the last sort of 18 months around the world and, and privileged to do that in some amazing brands. And one of the consistent themes they say to me is people come to interviews and they ask me about the technology we, we use, the platforms we use, the brands we use. So I asked the question to, to this particular CIO, I said, well, what, what do you mean by that exactly? And he's like, well, I'm sitting in front of people of all ages now and they're saying, do you use X? And, you know, in this case, it might be someone turns around and says, well, you, are you powered by Citrix, for example, let's just say. And this gentleman said to me, and he's like, I'm the chief information officer. I, I don't really need to be answering technology questions about what we use. But people are saying, I don't really know if I want this job if you don't use this tech or if you don't support BYOD or if I can't bring my own laptop. And he's like, we've never had that before. This is a whole new trend. I can see this... Uh, future ahead of us not so far away where people go to job interviews or, or, or work with business partners and say, well, are you powered by Citrix? Because if you're not, I don't know if I can do business with you, right? Because we get used to that rapid uh, uh, accessibility of technology. We get used to the idea that we don't have to boot up a laptop and then log in on uh, the operating system and then run the application and log in on that and then double click on things. It just, it's touch a screen and it works. And that, that, that has, in my case, I know, and, and almost everybody I know, resoundingly will tell me the same thing um, as you just alluded to 
productivity is such a critical thing. I've got to be able to do my stuff quickly. I've got to make decisions instantly. I can't wait with someone on the phone or if I'm dialing into a call, the people around the world waiting on this thing. I'm seeing now conference calls have gone from, uh, uh, you know, or, or group messaging or whatever the case may be in different things. There might be twice as many people on there because we're able to make decisions faster. You know, it might be once upon a time, 15 years ago, you'd have five or six people on a conference call. I'm used to seeing 20 or 30 people turn up to a, a dial-in now, and they all have 30 seconds to make their quick decision. So that productivity piece to me seems to be a really powerful enabler, but also an, a real challenge for organizations from the point where they're employing people to how they're deploying them out in the field. Um, this must be a big thing they're coming to Citrix and asking, you know, okay, we've gone to the cloud, we've made this transition, we're doing some of the digital transformation. How do you help us resolve this productivity issue? Yeah, so I I had a discussion recently with a, with a CIO of a, a medium-sized firm that, um, you know, basically is made up of professionals in a, in a certain area. And he told me their, their philosophy is they hire only the best of the best. Um, they recruit from the, the best universities. They bring people in. If you work there, you know you're the best of the best. It's almost a military special forces-like attitude. But as a result, the, it's an incredibly demanding environment. And he said for a while they were, they were having trouble with employee retention as a result. You know, people want to work the best place, but there were long hours, incredible demands. And he said one of the things they really decided that they had to do, both for their own good and the good of their employees, was if they were going to demand this much of them, they had to give them the best tools to do their jobs. And, um, you know, these people, the, the tools to do their job were, um, you know, digital computing tools. And so they really had to, to rebuild their workspace to be this incredibly efficient um, easy to use workspace so that the people felt like even if they had incredible demands put on them, that they were being fully supported by the firm and that they were, they were sort of able to do their job to the best. And at the same time, the firm, they know they're paying a premium because they're, they're hiring the best of the best employees and they want them to have maximum productivity. They can't have them hamstrung by substandard systems where they're sitting around waiting for things. I like that. And that goes back to that key thing of um, we always talk about time is money. Underpinning all of this whole topic of, of I guess, um, the, you know, the workspace of the future concept uh, that we've been talking about is this idea of sort of that whole connected enterprise. And I, I guess it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's snuck up on us in many ways uh, in the same way that you know, bring your own device and, and cloud and other things have permeated everything now. Um, when, when you talk about the idea of the connected enterprise, um, and we've sort of talked about some of these things, um, what are some of the really key things that jump out when you're in a boardroom and someone hands you a whiteboard marker and says, just explain the connected enterprise to me? We, we, we do have devices connecting in, and we've got some SaaS, and we've got some on-prem, we've got some device stuff. How do, you, how do you summarize that whole topic of the connected enterprise for, for an audience so that in a few seconds they get the concept that they can then sort of start asking you questions about how you help them with it? So the, the first thing to understand is, is the evolution of the relationship between the computing, relate, computing resources and the actual people who use them. Again, going back not too far into the past, your computing resources sat in a data center and the people who were using them might have sat in the same building, definitely sat on the same physical network. You wrapped a firewall around the outside of that to keep people out. And the people on the inside had pretty free reign access to everything. Um, 
Fast forward and you see an evolution taking place on two axes. One is the workers no longer sit in one place. They're not hardwired on an ethernet port that's attached to the data center. Um, our studies say on average, a typical worker works in four places during the day. Wow. This isn't the old fashioned view of a mobile worker like a traveling salesman who's on the road. This is everybody. Think about it. You get up in the morning, you pull out your phone, you answer some email. Maybe you work on the train on the way to work. Maybe you stop in a coffee shop or maybe you work in multiple different places, even inside the office. And so everyone is now a mobile worker. On the flip side, your applications used to live in the data center. Um, some of them do. A lot of them now live in the cloud. They live in an infrastructure cloud like AWS. Um, they live in a SaaS cloud like salesforce.com or Workday. Um, what you find now is my old idea of the sort of physical perimeter defined by my firewall is completely invalid. The digital perimeter that you have to patrol and protect is now the entire internet. And it's invalidated enterprises' complete view of network architecture, network security, it, it's had to evolve in a completely different direction. And when we look at the modern connected enterprise, it means um, new takes on connectivity. This means bringing in things like software-defined wide area networks. How do I get reliable um, connections between multiple data centers, between branches and the cloud? Um, this means bringing in technologies like user behavior analytics, because I can't depend on a firewall to decide whether people have access to things. I need artificial intelligence to look at people and say, is this person allowed to have access to this kind of information in this set of circumstances? Because we need a much more fluid view on that kind of um, resource allocation than, than we had in the past. Well, I've seen that every day as well in that, uh, you know, when I look at the way that my kids work and, and, and the, the generation prior to them that are often uh, working with me or for me is exactly what you're saying there with, you know, when they wake up in their minds, that they're not so much at work, but they can work. And I think this is the shift that I've seen um, that underpins a lot of what you're talking about there with the whole connected enterprise, that um, the idea of going into the office and starting at 9 o'clock and then leaving at 5.30 and having a lunch break and a morning tea break and an afternoon break. I mean, I remember when I, uh, I first, I mean, I was born in Australia, but I first came back to Australia after having lived in uh, Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands and then finishing high school in New Zealand. I came back to Australia to work and uh, my very first job, you know, I would be clocked in at 9 o'clock. We actually had a punch card, even though I was a software developer and assistance developer, and I clocked out at 5.30 in the afternoon. Uh, they had a morning tea break where a tea lady came around with a trolley and we had coffee and biscuits, right? Um, and I, I think back to that where I went to a fixed office and a fixed place and a fixed desk and I sat in front of a fixed terminal, wrote code on a fixed server, on a, on a wide area network to a data center to where I am today, where no matter where I am on this planet, I've got a device of some form I can get to or if I can get to somebody else's device, I can get to every single aspect of what I need to do quote-unquote work. And so there's this idea now in my mind where it's not so much we're always at work, but wherever we are, we can work. And I think this is a significant shift because we're seeing this, and again, not, not picking on millennials, but millennials have, as you said, grown up with devices in their hands from a consumer point of view. They've got to the point now where it seems normal to them that work would be the same. And I think this is flowing through all other generations now that 
that, that prior generations are saying, well, if they've got it, why can't I have it? And, and I mean, I, I, I love nothing more than just grabbing a laptop and phone and going to a nearby cafe, putting my headphones on and writing. Or, you know, I might spend uh, 14 to 15 hours on an aeroplane between Australia and the US and I want to work there. And I just assume things are going to function, right? And, and I guess when you talk about the connected enterprise, as you said, you know, if you get up and check an email or you're doing it in your self-driving car, is it fair to say that that expectation is already set and we've moved past it? We're beyond that now. It's not almost to the point where it's not normal to have to go to an office or sit in front of a fixed screen anymore. It's, it is the norm that, that device and connectivity and the connected enterprise is what we expect by default as opposed to a, a nicety. It's, it's not just a necessity. It's, sorry, not just a nicety. It's a necessity from a, an organization point of view, a performance point of view, a productivity point of view. I, I think so, right? I mean, I think there's there's still huge benefit in being able to get together face to face and work with um, with people you know. But at the same time, it's just not the same kind of environment. And people do work on the go. And when I think about the people I work with, even in the same company at Citrix, we have multiple offices in the U.S. I have people I work with in India. I have people I work with in China. I have people I work with in Prague and Cambridge in the U.K. Um, I can't go to work and see those people every day. So going to work just means something fundamentally different. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, it really mm. is a, a complete transformation there. Someone commented the other day, I was reading, I, I think, I think it was Time Magazine. Somebody did an op-ed piece recently that said that exactly what you're outlining there is that, you know, from a work point of view, it didn't matter where we were, but humans are still tribal in a sense that, you know, we've evolved sort of from, you know, uh, living out in the in the wild or on, on our own to, to grouping and, and, and tribing. And, and nowadays this lady described this concept that we still go to the same place to work because of that tribal behavior, that, that, that collaborative component, as you said, you know, being able to sit in the same place and have a conversation. But that didn't necessarily need to be underpinned by where we go to work to use the devices. You mentioned something interesting I'd love to dive into with regard to artificial intelligence as an enabler and so forth. And, and um, I made a note around just uh, talking about how this acted as a catalyst towards that productivity to- topic that was so critical. Um, and I'm keen to sort of delve into that in a little bit. But, you know, we see a lot coming out of, of what yourself and, and your team and, and, um, and certainly Citrix are talking about as, as far as artificial intelligence and certainly machine learning. Uh, has, has become a real thing. It's integrated into it. Um, is it the case that artificial intelligence is, is, is sort of one of those things now that we're also also assuming is there? And when we sort of think about that work, workspace of the future, I think it's fair to say that that's sort of where we're at now and, and you're enabling that. That connected enterprise concept uh, is sort of, you know, almost a, a given that we're expecting it to be there. Are we now at the point where we're expecting artificial intelligence and the likes of machine learning to be there by default and to be a catalyst to productivity to make life easier and quicker and faster? So I think we are very early on that curve. Um, I think actually artificial intelligence and machine learning will be the most important technology of the century, probably the same way that the integrated circuit was for last century. But we're very, very early. And I think we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg. Um, You know, from an enterprise productivity point of view, I I see it as a conversation that every CIO wants to have is they want to understand how they can apply that, right? They're all starting to see it applied in their house where their thermostat learns their habits and learns when to turn up and down the heat. Um, Maybe they have an Amazon Alexa sitting on their desk that they ask to play their music for them, or maybe they have a self-driving car. But they're saying, how do I really apply this in a business context? 
And what we're finding is there are huge, huge opportunities there. Um, it ranges everywhere from, you know, using artificial intelligence to improve your security stance, but more importantly, in the wrong, long run, changing the way you do productivity. So some of these things, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, these things like micro apps. How do I go in and figure out for you what's the most important thing you have to do today? How do I sort of guide your work, find the things that are most important to the organization, bring them to your attention? Um, how do I um, enable you to ask new kinds of questions? Um, it, it was really fun. We did a, a exercise recently with a group of CIOs where we looked at the most common questions that people ask an Amazon Alexa style device, right? And it's, you know, uh, would you play my music? What's the weather going to be like today? Um, but we also found a study of what, what were the questions people wish they could ask an Amazon device? And it was, it was crazy stuff. Everything from, um, you know, help me find a date, right? People know that they could get more out of these things. And right. so we, and we said, look, if you had a digital assistant that was attached to your enterprise infrastructure, that knew everything about what your, or that could know anything about what was going on at your company, what would you ask it? And, you know, the, the questions there are going to be fascinating. Um, we're going to open up a whole new world where, um, you know, you're going to be able to really ask complicated questions of your infrastructure and have it structure answers for you and glean insights and bring them to you. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we, um, when we sort of look at the transitional shift and the cultural behavioral shift you've been talking about with regard to workspace of the future and the connected enterprise and where all those things have happened, the, I mean, we've got the enablers for them. We've assumed they're there. Um, we've had a, a bunch of machine learning that helps us, you know, when we dial in to watch some movies or TV shows, the platforms often know what we've watched and recommend things that yeah. other people like us have watched. We, you know, we go shopping, it pops up and says other people like you uh, bought this, for example. Um, search engines know behaviorally what we're looking at and, and give us, you know, I actually had a conversation with someone in Munich the other day and uh, we had this fairly heated but positive debate about whether their favorite search engine, and I won't mention the brand, they don't need any advertising from me, but um, uh, we bought up two laptop screens. I said, search for the same thing as me. Let's have a look. And they were blown away by the fact that their search engine result page was different to mine. Uh, they just mm -hmm. they just assumed that they were going to go to the site and go to you know xyz.com and type in you know blah 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 and then click bang we'd get an answer and they were just dumbfounded that my results the the first like 100 results I got were completely different from theirs and I said artificial intelligence in the form of machine learning and so forth has been applied to this to make sure that you get what you like and I get what I like and I guess this is where this whole trend that you're talking about now where I mean, I'm guilty of this. You know, I get so frustrated when I look and think, I understand what's behind the technology. I understand what the smart little device does. But I get annoyed that all I can really do is say, hey, you know, what's the time of the day? What's the weather? Blah, blah. Or even, you know, play me some country and western or whatever, which freaks my kids out. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't have a conversation with it yet. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be a trigger word to get its attention to wake up. And then I've got to almost do the sort of, you know, interactive voice recording experience that we used to have on phones of press one to go to sales, press two for support. And I'm like, we, we need to get past that. But then, of course, I guess to enable that, we've got to go a bit beyond machine learning and have slightly deep learning uh, uh, technology to make that possible. Um, where are some of the big shifts you're seeing, though, when we think about um, organizations? And, and I'm glad you 
we're pretty upfront about the fact that it is early days because I think there's a lot of hype around it. We're seeing a lot of interesting things being claimed by the media and some organisations, but I totally agree with you that we are very early days and we're just scratching the surface, but I'm so excited about where it's taking us. Um, where are you seeing some of the early emerging wins being found here? I mean, you're at the bleeding edge, if you'll pardon the pun, around this whole space of things that are in the cloud with regard to your role. And certainly Citrix as a brand, um, you've always been at the head of the, the curve. Where do you see some of the trends coming about where people are leveraging this and getting some wins? Um, if people are listening and sort of looking and thinking, well, where can, where can I start to look at how I apply this to, to be a catalyst to productivity? Um, what's the experience been so far and where are you seeing some wins come about? Have you got any examples or use cases that really jumped out of late in this space? So I think one of the um, one of the things machine learning has gotten to be best at um, as sort of a general technology area is anomaly detection. And when you think about it, um, people have been really good at looking at a series of things and saying, which one of these doesn't belong? Um, computers have historically been terrible at that. Um, you know, you've got basic statistical regressions and that's where it ended. Um, with machine learning, you can be much better at that. And so when you think about the kinds of things you can do, um, that applies in the computer security realm where you can start to find things that are abnormal and focus on them. Um, it starts to happen um, even at the, the lowest levels of your enterprise infrastructure. How do I look at the performance of your different characteristics and your applications and find out when things are in trouble, when things are getting abnormal? How do I draw your attention to them and make sure that, that we can fix those things? The next place where we're really just starting is this drive to productivity. And we're seeing this some, um, you know, in early days of um, things like business analytics where um, you don't have to just say, hey, I want to draw a chart of these cells in the spreadsheet. You say, hey, I want to look at this data. Find me the interesting things. And you get 10 different things that pop out. The place where this is going, though, is is really starting to be able to look at you holistically as a worker and look at all the tasks you're doing and look at, you know, what do you do every day? What are the applications that you use? What are the kinds of data that you go after? Um, how do I, for example, look at your calendar, look at what's supposed to happen for your day? And how does the how does the computer system prepare you for that? How does it look at where you are and prepare you for that? Um, how does it find the resources that are available there? Um, how does it drive different kinds of behaviors? So very early on there, but basically at the cusp where, you know, later this year, we're going to be introducing a lot more sort of AI-driven productivity features um, where it's, it's going to be much more in the forefront. Is there a market space uh, drive from this as in other key industries who are um, more, I guess, um, uh, prepared for this or ready for this that are jumping out, or is it across the board? I mean, I, I know, for example, you know, in, in the realm of data science, you know, the financial services industry, banking, wealth management, asset management, they've got a lot of data, a lot of moving parts, a lot of customers with different types of services, and they've really leveraged data science. And, you know, as you said, you know, applying regression to data, looking for anomalies, looking for outliers, finding out why they're outliers and addressing it. I've seen the FSI space leverage data science, big data analytics very quickly because it showed them some quick wins. But at the other end of the spectrum, the whole sort of industrial engineering, manufacturing, robotics, you know, places where this probably would have been well applied have been a little slow to get to the space, but they are now you know, emerging as a market to jump at it. 
when we think about uh, this whole challenge of leveraging technologies to drive productivity, and particularly uh, uh, machine learning and AI, have there been an, has there been an industry shift that you've seen as a trend that's leapt out and some are early adopters than others? Or are you seeing as a, a trend across the board now that people are calling you saying, Steve, where do we apply machine learning for this? How do we get better productivity out of our teams? How do we make our tools smarter, more secure with what you've got? So I think obviously there's both going on. And you, and you see um, vertical applications of this. And, and we do talk to people in, in healthcare and other places that are finding fantastic things they can do with machine learning. In a lot of cases, they're going through things like regulatory struggles to let them use it because they haven't quite understood it all, even though they know that what they have is kind of better than what they had before. Um, but I think the area that we're most focused on is initially a lot of completely horizontal use cases, things everybody does every day. And, you know, when you think about it, the, the things that everybody has in a modern corporation um, that take up the bulk of their time is processing, um, processing emails and requests and um, dealing with instant messages and Slack and Microsoft Teams and their calendar and, and all of these, these sort of computing resources that everybody has are, are bogging you down where you're spending all of your time, um, even just context switching between these different, these different modes of operation. Um, you know, they do studies on software developers where they realize if you context switch too much, your IQ drops by 20 points. And I, I think that's actually true of all of us. And so really what we're seeing is the opportunity to use intelligence to drive these pathways in more natural ways, bring you the things that you need in the context that you need them, in the order that you need them, at the time that you need them. So you're not arbitrarily context switching all the time. You're going through a natural movement of clearing out the work that you need to get done to move the organization forward. And, and I think we're going to find that across industries, um, across worker types. There's going to be applications of this that virtually everyone will be using in the next few years. Actually, I had a conversation the other day with somebody at a hospital. Uh, one of the startups I, I work with uh, is in the digital transformation space around aged care organizations and hospitals. And what she said to me was she, she found exactly what you're talking about there, that people's IQs didn't necessarily drop on a permanent basis, but their behavioral IQ was such that if they were confused, if they were having to context switch too quickly, too frequently, as is the case in triage or emergency rooms or whatever, and, and uh, responding to people, you know, someone in room 105 might want just something as a, as a coffee and a biscuit, and then someone in room 106 might have, uh, have you know, code redded and lost their heartbeat and having to jump around. So what she found was she was breaking the day up into compartmentalized decision groups, as in uh, organizational stuff about how the hospital is running and some of the short to medium term decisions having to make as a business at the front of the day. And in the middle of the day, operational type things as to who are we having to manage and what health challenges we've got today and where do we have to take the organization today. And at the end of the day, um, things that they could make quick decisions on and get quick wins on. And what, what, what did we learn the last six hours or eight hours? And who needs an uh, you know, immediate response? And what teams do I need on, on site overnight to do this? And she found she got a better response from people in that that were less stressed, more relaxed, making better decisions and making fast and smarter decisions. And I took that away and, and shared it with a few other organizations who are trying it out now. And they've re reflected exactly what you're talking about is that, that decision making that 
operational behavioral IQ improved when people didn't have to jump from A to Z to H to Z to B to I to N. If they were able to go all the way from A to Z in a natural sequence through the day where it's possible. One of the things, I, one of the things I'm keen to do um, before we wrap up, because we've covered a lot of great detail there, but one of the things I love to do uh, with my guests, and I hope you don't mind if I do this with yourself, before we wrap up, I'd love to do a little crystal ball gazing with you. Um, a couple of final questions, if you don't mind. Um, if I was to hand you a, a virtual crystal ball, um, where do you see some of these big things taking us? And we, we've had some great insights from you around that whole topic of workspace of the future and the, how the underpinning connected enterprise is sort of making that a, a thing. The power of artificial intelligence coming into the space and driving uh, and acting as a catalyst productivity, improving it. Next 12 to 18 months, things are moving very fast, as you said. There's some big you know, transformational changes like 5G is coming out. Uh, uh, you know, software-defined everything, network function virtualization, software-defined infrastructure, software-defined networks. Applications are just, you know, micro-apps, as you said. If I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball, Steve, if you gazed in it for a moment, where, where are we going in your mind in the next 12 to 18 months? What are some of the big things that listeners should be thinking about as to what's going to come at them? Are there any brick walls they need to think about they're going to run into or any big shifts that they haven't necessarily appreciated yet you're seeing out there? Um, where is it taking us? What's over the horizon? And what should people be thinking about when they sort of reach out to you and your team at Citrix and say, we, we would like your help to get us to the next step? So I think the thing that we're going to see is acceleration. We're, we're going to see it on so many levels at so many directions. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, some of the, the generational shifts that we're seeing in the workplace. Um, again, we're, we're going to move from the place where the, the millennials are sort of the bulk of the workforce to within no time at all having massive numbers of these truly born digital workers who are going to be working in, in very different ways. Um, from a technology point of view, we are going to see um, major, major uptake in artificial intelligence, and it's going to start small and it's going to accelerate dramatically. And, and within the next two years, you will see this ramping up. You will see routine uses of it in the enterprise, not just in financial services for credit card fraud detection or to develop a new trading strategy, but for, for real tasks that people do every day. And so um, the other thing that we will see is um, real traction finally in the IoT space. Um, outside of just these kind of cool consumer cases like, um, you know, your thermostat, but really transforming the workplace that you live in and many more of these connected devices becoming available where you can readily access um, digital assistance from a range of places inside your physical office where you're going to have more types of devices that you can access your works your workspace from your applications your documents so we're going to see transformation on on all of those axes and I, and I think it's going to accelerate where really um, you know we've seen so much change between you know 2010 and 2019 we're going to see much more between 2020 and 2020 2029 interesting i uh i did actually find that reference by the way uh, while you were chatting there with regard to the percentage of the population in the world that millennials were and turns out that at, once we get to 7.7 .7 billion people by the end of this year it's projected some 32% of the world population globally uh, something in the order of 4.3 billion humans are going to be uh, Gen Y or Gen Z, and that is, you know, born after, what is it, year 2000, 2001. So they're going to turn 18 
And as in Australia and probably most places around the world, when you turn 18, you legally become an adult. You can drink alcohol and you can smoke cigarettes and all those sorts of things. But more importantly, you'll be able to hold down a job and earn good money and make big decisions for billion-dollar companies. And there's an underpinning thing that I always look at with this as well, and that is that that's the current population from a, a developed world. But then there's also, I guess, one a final question I'd love to, to put to you, and that is that you know, we've got a lot of big technologies like 5G coming out and all the disruption that comes with that and IoT around the world sort of moving data around that we can make decisions on. But there's also this new and emerging market, uh, I guess, and I, I quote three things usually, and that is that, you know, in, in the 54 territories and states and nations of Africa, there's 1.1 billion people. Uh, there's 1.3 billion people in India, 1.45 billion people in China. And that's roughly, let's just say, you know, 3.6 to 3.7 billion people. Uh, who are in emerging markets and emerging nations. So they're about to get their first mobile phone. They're predominantly unbanked, so they're going to get a bank account and actually have savings. And they're going to have access to technology. And the thing that I'm seeing is that they're going to, you know, we've, we've watched this shift from desktop to laptops, laptops to mobile devices to smartphones and all the technology you've enabled. I see this Cambrian explosion coming about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this before we wrap up, and that is that this new emerging market is going to get their first first device. It'll be a phablet of some sort, you know, a, a large phone tablet type device. They're going to go from zero to hero overnight. And because they've never had, you know, the you've got mail and dial up a, a modem tone and all sorts of stuff, they are going to have this expectation from their very first moment of access to technology and online banking and, and, and you know, cloud enabled email and whatnot, that that's where it always was. Um, as millennials have always sort of, you know, had access to devices and they're changing the way they behave. I'd love to get your thoughts in closing as to what this new emerging market's going to be like and, 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 and you know, where these sorts of impacts are going to bring us. Because, again, you're, you've been at the space at the bleeding edge of it for, for so long now. And as you said, you're about to, you know, the company's about to turn 30, which is exciting. Um, I'd love to get your closing thoughts on what this new emerging market of people who are just about to get the first device and just about to get access to technology might have and what that means into you know, this whole workspace of the future because they're going to be so different that we can't even imagine, I'm, I would conceive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we see this all over the place where the, the markets that you used to consider as not the most advanced, in fact, in a, in a lot of ways are picking up these technologies the fastest. Um, I um, had a conversation with a, a CIO in Africa um, for a bank, and um, they, were, they were starting to deploy robots into the branches to, to greet people. Um, you know, at the, the other end of the spectrum, right, you're, you're spot on that everyone is going to have a phone. Um, and that phone is going to be the portal to a set of resources that people were never able to access before. Um, you know, when you think about the, the underbanked population of the world who doesn't have access to things like banking, some combination of phone and some version of cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin or something else, is going to create this explosion in, in global trade and the global economy where everybody can trade and, and borders are going to become much more fluid. It's, it's going to be crazy. And the companies that are agile and can take advantage of this and are poised for it um, are going to see huge returns for it. The companies that are caught flat-footed by this and aren't ready to evolve, um, there's going to be a lot that are going to disappear. I like that. Well, there was a report recently I read that said something to that effect. It said that organizations over time who had leveraged technology early and appropriately 
had more often than not gained such a significant lead on their competitors that competitors almost could never catch up. Well, Steve, it's been fantastic to get to know you, and thank you so much for some of the personal insights around your background, where you grew up, and your uh, academic and career path, and some amazing insights in the whole challenge that we're facing now, not just the workspace of the future, but everything underpinning that. Um, and I, I love your, your closing thought there around what's going to happen in the world because I, I see this as uh, the tsunami of change that we haven't even prepared for yet. I guess the one thing that I will uh, state is that I'm 100% confident that Citrus is well positioned for that and, and, and with the likes of yourself at the, at the reins leading the organization of the future, um, I'm confident that my kids are going to enter in a world where uh, what you're powering is going to make their life safer and faster and easier and their productivity is going to be at a level that I can only dream of today. Thanks, Des. Really, really enjoyed the conversation.